We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. IB Nation, how are you, everybody? Welcome to our Irish Breakdown. Notre Dame football mailbag. It's Friday. It's St. Patrick's Day. It's Pot of Gold Day. There's a lot going on, Ryan. And obviously, if you have not seen it, we have a running thread going today where we are putting all the offers out there. We expect at least 85 offers today to go out, Ryan, to different 2025 prospects. Really fascinating. There's two Notre Dame legacy recruits that have been offered today that are actually good football players. It's not they're just not getting offers because of who their dads are. That's James Flanagan and Jerome Bettis Jr. Obviously, namesakes are Jim Flanagan, who was a defensive tackle on the Notre Dame 1993 team, and we all know who Jerome Bettis is, right? So that's pretty cool. Really talented players, a lot more defensive players. Than offensive players. Here's a shocker for you, Ryan. I know you're going to be surprised by this. There's a lot of linebacker and defensive line golfers going out today. So I, I, I know think you're shocked by that. I think we're expecting around 21 linebacker offers, Brian. So, yeah, at uh, least, you know, yeah. things are treaded in the two same offensive direction. linemen, right? I mean, <laughs> I know, you know, know, so yeah, it is what it is. But at, at least one of those offensive linemen is clearly the best offensive lineman oh, in the country, yes. though. Clearly. Yes. <laughs> David Sanders is yes. a dude. Some very talented players in the Midwest. I mean, there's there's some really really good, uh, some really good players in Illinois this year. Yeah. I mean, Taylor Taylor. I, I'm not sure if that's how to say his name. He's yeah. a stud wide receiver. Um, really like uh, Nathaniel Marshall. Christopher Burgess got offered today. Yeah. Uh, Dominic Hulak, uh, I believe is how you say his last name. He got offered today. There's some dudes in that Illinois class in 2025, Ryan. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. 
Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. And I, I know, um, yeah, I mean, and we were obviously messing with Sean a little bit on a thread and, you know, you know, oh, Illinois, I'm telling you guys, man, Illinois is really great. I'm like, yeah, Sean, sure, man. Um, yeah. But to run quick notes is I know he had already been offered, but a third legacy is expected today that we know of, obviously, right? Because Nathaniel Wusu Botank, who is the younger right. brother of Jeremiah Wusu Koromoa, right. has already been offered in the 2025 class. So he yeah. should be getting his today as well. We expect so. him to be kind of like Jet White. You know, Jet White yeah. was offered again today. He even tweeted, hey, re-offered. And so it's just so to make those guys part of, uh, you know, kind of part of – the pro the what the day is all about so so really big day ryan a lot of that going on but this right here this is mailbag time so we're going to dive in today's mailbag ryan and we're going to get rocking and rolling here uh with some questions so let's uh we let's get started with one of the ogs of irish breakdowns uh podcast from Notre Dame, 2164. Thank you so much for kicking us off here today. Let's say the defensive line defense is better this year, but still not really that close to what we want it to be. Do you guys give the Owls another year or no? I mean, look, I'm not going to really answer that question, Ryan, because that would require me to call for someone to be fired, and I just I just don't do that. The reality is, is if it's better but not really close to what it, it needs to be, changes need to happen. I don't care what those changes are. I don't care if it's moving someone to a different position. I mean, you guys can figure out how that needs to happen, but the reality is, is yes, changes need to be made. Yeah. Do I do I think the defensive line needs to look like Georgia 2021? No, it doesn't. I don't expect it to look like that. Does it need to be better than it was last year? Yeah, it it, it needs to and it should be completely to be completely honest with you is it should be better than last year's unit just for a, a host of reasons that we've, that we've mentioned. And so, um, you know, I, I fully expect it to be, to be an improved group this year. And if it's not, then that's a, that's a coaching problem. I, that's what I'm comfortable saying right there. It's a coaching problem if it's not better. Yeah. I, I feel like this answer is a lot more nuanced than like, just, you know, it's a little, it's better, but it's not quite the championship level. I mean, because you're, you're playing a completely different schedule than what you played last year, right? Like, what does it look like in certain situations, in the big games? Did the defense come to play? How, what, what was the adjustments that were made during the season? Have we seen a new philo- new philosophical approach from the defensive staff compared to what we had last year that we wanted to see some changes made, right? Like, progress is not – it's not, you know, just judged based upon one way to do things, right? Like, progress can show – evolution but it can also show you know just 
it can be a farce to a degree too, right? So I, I think that for me, Notre Dame 21-64, it's, it's about what it looks like, right? Like I want to see game by game what improvements were made, Al Golden's improvements, the defensive line's improvements. I, I think that there's just a lot more nuance than just saying like, you know, point blank doesn't need to change just on like a very overarching concept, right? Like there's a lot of things that I think could make a much more – a much more in-depth approach to developing that next step because like we, you know, just saying it's better, but it's not quite where you need to be. That doesn't necessarily mean that Al Golden didn't change or did a bad job, right? Like that's, that's not what it is. There's circumstances, there's injuries, there's, you know, bad game, you know, everyone's going to have a bad game occasionally. Like there's just a lot of context that I think that that kind of broad stroke kind of misses a little bit for me. All right, let's get to the next one here. Question from USMA87. Is Al Golden visiting recruits? I did a quick look at the pot of gold offers, and most of the defensive players had conversations with Golden. Your thoughts? Well, he hasn't been visiting guys recently because it's been a yeah. dead period. But, you know, as we've said, look, Al Golden has certainly upped his recruiting effort yes. recently. Now, here's, here's, here's the reality of it. I'm not going to be like, oh, it doesn't mean anything. He's only offering kids. That's better than nothing. You know, and and clearly a lot of these kids have talked to him and they've gotten an offer from him. That's important. That's good. I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna like dismiss that to, you know, to to continue to hang, bang on it for for no reason whatsoever. Look, the reality is it needs to be followed up by strong recruiting efforts. And here's the deal. I'm gonna say this right now, Ryan. Part of my frustration with Al Golden has been because I know he's a really good recruiter. He was a yeah. really good recruiter at Virginia. He was a pretty good recruiter at Miami when he. When he had, you know, he, he didn't have a great staff around him. That was a bit of an issue. And they had, there was so much crap going on at Miami at the time that had anything to do with him. Yeah. But he's individually a good recruiter. And so that's the frustration is it'd be one thing if he, I just look, man, he's not a good recruiter. Like it is what it is. Just go put a good defense on the field, call kids, make offers, and just, you know, move on. Right. But he is, he was a good recruiter back in the day. I mean, there was one year he signed two five-star linebackers from Virginia, Kai Parham and Ahmed Brooks, and signed some really talented players during his time at Virginia. So I want to see him be that guy. So, yeah, he needs to do a lot better. And it can't just be throwing out offers. But throwing out yeah. a bunch of offers and contacting kids get off is better than what it's been. So it's a step in the right direction. And that's a positive for me. Now we just need to see what the follow-through is now that the – the dead period's over and you get kids on campus and stuff like that. Right. there's a lot of linebackers that have been offered yes. in 24 and 25 that have already set up visits to know. Exactly. Rate. So that's a positive. I, I said this on last week's show. I think I can't remember if it was on a recruiting show or if it was in a mailbag in another show, Brian, I am hearing Al Gold's name a lot more, which is a really good sign. It's not just extending offers. It's like, I mean, I just talked to Bodie Cahoon, for instance, yesterday, the day before where he said that Al Golden reaches out to him a lot. Like, you know, a, several times a week. So I think that there's a lot more effort and I think that it's just more about understanding a hundred percent of what priorities are on the linebacker board, right? Like that's the next step is that now old gold needs to find who his top targets are and he needs to put in that effort. And he needs to land some dudes, man. Like that's kind of where we are with this, right? Because I, I think that there's a misconception, Brian, for me, because some people throw a lot of shade at Al Washington and a lot of it's deserved. And we've talked about yeah. that, right? Al Golden, I mean, Al Washington, though, he isn't like just he isn't just quiet on the recruiting side, though. I think people have a misconception about that. Al, Go Al Washington recruits. It's just he recruits a little too much, in my opinion, like too many guys. Like can we focus well, on the key guys. On the it's board? one of many issues he has, in my opinion. Yes, he, he yeah. recruits. He doesn't recruit the right guys. He's late on some kids that he shouldn't be late on. He 
he takes weird approaches sometimes with yes. kids and you know but he, he it's not that he's not trying to recruit i mean it's not he, that there's no just, efforts yeah. he's not doing a very good job of it he's not yes. he's organized enough he's not diligent enough he's not he doesn't have a plan it seems like a lot of times like just kind of fly by the seat of his pants kind of thing it's it's quite strange like how have you talked to this kid like all the time but you never talk to this kid over here who's a, exactly. who's a better player there's no consistency to it, but he is doing stuff. Without Golden, yeah. it was just like, is this dude doing anything? Like, N- never heard know, his name, man. You right. Never heard and, his name. That yeah. was a problem. Well, that's not the case anymore. And so, right. with, now that it's not the case, you know, hopefully it 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 changed. Now, here here's my concern, Ryan. If I'm just going to be completely honest with you, my concern is that he's doing that until Max Bulla is ready to go. And then he's going to let Max Bulla take over the recruitments. I hope that that doesn't happen. I really hope that doesn't happen because, as I said before, Al Golden, when he puts his effort and mind to it, is a good recruiter. He is he is a good recruiter, and I want to see him be more involved. Now, as a defensive coordinator, he doesn't need to recruit seventy five kids, but he needs to be he needs to be a lot more involved, in my opinion. Yep. There's no doubt about it, and, he, and, and he's got I've, the chance to do so. I mean, he's look again. I'm going to say this again. He is a good – he was, in the past, a very good recruiter. Sure. And if he puts his mind to it here and is bought into being at Notre Dame, I think you could see his recruiting success really jump. I, I really do. It's just about whether or not he wants to do it over a period. Because, like, look, we did this with Brian Kelly before, right? Remember when Marcus Freeman um, first came and Brian Kelly really upped his recruiting? And we were like, hey, this is great. You know, this is good. And we'll praise him for it. But then, like, you know, a couple months go by and it's like back to being the old Brian Kelly. Yeah. That's the thing is this has to be the beginning of a of of an of a re a rejuvenated Al Golden on the recruiting trail. That transformation. It. And if he does that, man, I'm 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 gonna be happy because I do think he's a good recruiter or can be a good recruiter. And, and, and there's no doubt in my mind. And I think a guy like Peyton Pierce on the board, Brian, he he would be a great example on how much Al Golden has kind of changed his ways as far as the interest level in recruiting and the initiative to recruit, right? Because, I mean, Peyton Pierce was looking very good to Notre Dame there for a few weeks, right? And then James Laurinaitis leaves, who was a GA, by the way. And then all of a sudden it's like, oh, man, I don't know if Notre Dame has any traction there anymore. But now – Al Golden has a chance to get back into that conversation, right? And to right the ship and then gain momentum back. So I think as simple as just like a Peyton Pierce recruitment might show you whether Al Golden has decided to take his game up a notch and ball it fully in, or if it's kind of the same old story. So we'll see. Right. And and if they miss out on, on Peyton Pierce, that that's a loss, but there's other really good linebackers out there. They just need to get them. That that's going to be the big key for me anyway. From God Country, Notre Dame, and Barbecue. Happy St. Patty's Day to you as well. I made about 70 Reuben sandwiches the other day to celebrate this holiday. They are my favorite food. What's your favorite sandwich and favorite food? That's a good one. My wife likes Reuben's, by the way. And she's actually making, she bought some, she's making corned beef and hash tonight, or corned beef and sauerkraut, I think is what she does. Uh, She's making that for her. I'm making myself a steak. (laughs) Uh, but, uh, yeah, she likes that on St. Patrick's day. I, I, you know, what's funny. I'm Irish, but I've never really been like the St. Patrick's day guy. I'd always be like, Oh crap. I got to grab like a green wristband or something. So these idiots at school don't try to pinch me all freaking day. I've never really been a big St. Patrick's day guy. This is this is pot of gold day. This isn't St. Yeah, Patrick's exactly, Day. Exactly. Exactly. So. <laughs> so yeah, like my wife comes down and she's got like a green IB hoodie on and she's like, Where's your green? And she starts like pinching me. I'm like, You got 
It's like, so I throw <laughs> a hat on. It's got green on it. I was like, seriously? Uh, so uh, far, favorite sandwich? You know, the, my favorite sandwich is one I make at home, Ryan. I'll get like a hoagie, like a hoagie roll. I'll put uh, this uh, Dietz and Watson, I think is what it is, is the best that I can find around here. Because I, I, there's re- I don't know. I haven't been able to find any boar's head meat around here. Boar's head is great meat, but I haven't been able to find anywhere around here where they sell it. But Dietz and Watson is a really good meat that I get from around here. And so I'll go get some fresh cut roast beef and fresh cut turkey. And so then I'll make a sandwich. I'll just put turkey and roast beef on a hoagie. I'll put provolone on the other, you know, cut it in half, and then I'll toast it because I like sandwiches hot. And then put some lettuce on it, and then, man, that's a great sandwich because, you know, and I'm not like a big condiment guy. I'm like, if, if you have if you have roast beef and turkey and it's not, like, if it's dry, then you got bad meat. You know, I don't need yeah. mayonnaise or whatever else to make to, to give it that moisture. So that's probably my favorite sandwich to eat. My favorite food overall is probably, I mean, it depends on what mood I'm in, right? Sometimes it's pasta. Sometimes it's pizza. Sometimes it's steak. You know, I mean, that's, you know, if I had to eat, if I could only eat like one meal for the rest of my life, I'd probably have like steak, mushrooms, and I don't know, like baked potato or something like that. Probably what I would have. So yeah, it just depends. But I mean, it just depends on, I'm a mood eater. You know what I mean? Like I'm really in the mood for a burger today, but then there's other days my wife's like, you want to go to Red Robin? I'm like, no. <laughs> you know, like I'm just not in the mood for a greasy burger right now, you know, but I'm, I'm usually, I'm usually never not in the mood for pizza and I'm usually never not in the mood for steak or pasta. I'm almost always in the mood for those, but sometimes you get more of a hankering for one thing and over another. So that's kind of, it's kind of how I am. And my, my, I also make chicken and rice all the time too. I made that last night. Just I'll cut up some, take some chicken breasts, cut them up into little cubes, put a little garlic, salt, garlic powder on them, uh, cook them in olive oil, and then just put them with a, on a bed of right white rice in a bowl and just eat it that way. I love that. It's really good. Enjoy love it very much. Love it. Sandwich for me. And again, prefacing this by I'm live outside of Philadelphia. Like I'm about 40 minutes now. I grew up 20 minutes outside of Philly and it's a cheesesteak for me, Brian. It's a cheesesteak. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a place near me called Lilo's and it's here in South Jersey that has the best cheesesteak I've ever had. So it's not even a Philadelphia cheesesteak. This place in here, they have a really nice seeded roll, but they do this garlic butter stuff where they spread it on the on the roll. They toast it up on the grill. They have delicious steak. Not overly greasy. Like they don't make it super greasy. It's just more about great meat and some provolone cheese. And I'm good to go, man. I don't need onions on a cheesesteak. I just need cheese. And some good steak. So, like that's what so I mean. are, are you a cheese whiz guy or are you like an actual like? No, I'm a priv- provolone, guy. provolone okay. guy. Yeah, yeah. Because yeah. like it, it's funny. Like when I moved, when I went to Muhlenberg, mm-hmm. I would get a, a Philly cheesesteak every day in, in the cafeteria. It was really good. And it would be pro. It would be just like a like you said, a, just a shredded steak, and then it would be uh, mushrooms and pro and uh, uh, actually they put Swiss cheese on it, right? Okay. And uh, it was really good. And then uh, the first time I ever had the, the cheese whiz one, and I'm like, this is going to be terrible. It sounds awful. Was mm-hmm. after we played our sinus that year at Muhlenberg. And it was phenomenal. I, I'm, I'm not going to lie to you. I love it that way. But I, I like them both ways. So like when I, I you know, I'll get a Philly cheesesteak every now and then from Penn Station here in town. Yeah. And it's like it's like the provolone. You know, I get like you get the steak and I don't get yeah. peppers and onions on it either. I just need steak, mushrooms and provolone. And I'm, I'm a happy dude. Yeah. See, I, I like whiz from certain places, but in my experience, like there is some bad cheese whiz out there though, man, where you're just like, this is not good. This is not quality stuff. Right. So I usually just go for, you know, I, I like to see him grill it up and put the, 
put the provolone cheese on top and let that melt on the grill and all that type of stuff. So cheesesteak would probably be the favorite. Lilo's in South Jersey, if anybody ever comes by, that's the uh, best cheesesteak I've ever had by far. Favorite food, my my great-grandmother would probably slap me in the head if I didn't say Italian food. So, you know. <laughs> my wife par- would be pretty ticked about that too, yeah. Chicken parm, the endless types of pastas, meatballs. I make you know, a pretty good chicken gravy. parm, Ryan. Yeah. I do. I make a pretty good homemade chicken and parm. Yeah. Or ch- uh, chicken parm. Yes. My wife even likes it. So my I, wife I just, actually likes it more than going out to get chicken. parm. You know what? The fun, the thing that sucks is there was a place in town called Simonini grill that had really good chicken parms, like fresh made. It was like all the stuff was uh, in from locally, but it shut down during COVID. Cause it was like a really small restaurant. It was pricey, but it was like, you know, it was like six tables is like all yeah. there was. And that shut down during COVID. The COVID stinks, man. Yes. So yeah, I was bummed about that. Now it's replaced by a smoothie show. I'm like, you gotta be kidding me. That's that, that was the worst part about COVID man it was like so many good small business, you know, family restaurants sl- yeah. shut down, man. Well, they weren't like, essential apparently. So, yeah, you apparently. know, whatever. <laughs> Uh, so anyway, uh, Walmart I, I just, we could keep that open, you know, yeah, but not, seriously. Not, yeah, whatever. Anyway, get me started on that. Uh, <laughs> anyway, let's move on quickly. Cause I'm about to get real pissed. Uh, here we go. From Brandon Pesner. Hi, Brandon. Any offers go out yet? <laughs> Brandon, what? <laughs> Pesner. Pesner. Is that, am I saying it right? Any offers go out yet today to guys you are excited about, or we should keep an eye on. Oh I mean, man, there's a lot, Brennan. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, honestly, I, I can do it almost at every position. The, uh, I, I well, I, try, I, I mean, I, I'll say this because th- it's, it's. I'll let you kind of rack your brain because, like, you can yeah. see Ryan's head. I'm literally like, going by position. I'm like, sort of name do like, I love that I want to talk about? Uh, I'll say this because I think this is really important. It's, it's whenever there's a strong class in Illinois. Indiana, Michigan, Notre Dame's got to take advantage of that. And one thing that gets me fired up is there's some legit dudes in the 2025 class on uh, in Illinois. Uh, and I, I'm, I'm probably not saying the name right, so I'll probably correct it over time, but I'm just going to take my best shot. It's Taylor Taylor, the kid from Illinois, from Geneva. He is a stud. He reminds me a lot of like the the kids that go to Ohio State, the Chris Olaves, the Garrett Wilsons, that kind of guy. He is an absolute stud as an ex type player. Notre Dame. Super yeah. smooth, fast. Like, yeah. I had to like, is his film sped up? Like, I had to go back and like watch everybody else running around him to see if the film was sped up or not. Cause you know the best way to tell if film is sped up, watch the referees. When their yeah. legs are going like a million miles, yeah, his film's sped up. <laughs> <laughs> no, nah, I wasn't sped up, right? And they get their hands up for touchdowns like really fast. You're like, yep, this is sped up film. No, nah, his wasn't sped up. He is a dude. I love Nathaniel Marshall as a big end. I think that yeah. kid's got a chance to be. And he was the player of the, of the year in the conference on defense. Sean said over Justin Scott. He's a massive kid, year. man. Oh, He's a man, he is kid. a strong athlete. And you want to see you want to see how athletic he is. Go watch him play basketball. Yeah. You know, like he he did a spin move on a kid, drove down the lane and racked it i'm like this is a this is a dude yeah. uh the uh the dominic hewlett uh hewlett kid's a pretty good player from the state of illinois chris burgess is a little tight-hipped but he's big he's i mean he is ripped up he looks a lot yeah. like steve filer he's powerful he's a kid that's got some skills so there's some legit players in the state of illinois that's the first thing that gets me fired up and there was i don't know how indiana is in 25 because there wasn't a single kid so far that's been offered in the state of indiana yeah, but there are some dudes in the state of Illinois, and I, that's got me fired up. Yeah, I, I like the Taylor kid too. I had the chance to talk to him two days ago, just kind of talking about his film and stuff. He's 
He's a really talented player. Usman Chroma for yeah. me, Brian, out of Georgia, the running back. That kid's a monster, man. I, I was like, he's 6'1", 210 pounds as a sophomore. Right? He ran for over 1,500 yards last year, like 180 carries in the state of Georgia. That kid is a monster, man, yeah. absolute monster. There's a couple of really talented quarterbacks that have been offered too, which is really like Cutter Bowley a really talented kind of pocket passing quarterback out of the state of Kentucky. Deuce Hill, who's an athletic left-handed quarterback, is a really talented kid. Man, there's a lot, honestly. I mean, well, the, yeah, and and uh, they've already offered obviously Bryce Underwood. I expect yes. him to kind of get reoffered again today. I would yep. expect him to get reoffered again today. Um, uh, Deuce Knight has been offered. Deuce Knight is what I meant. I, said, yeah, I think I said yeah. Deuce Hill. Yeah, yeah. Deuce Knight. And then uh, you're thinking of the the other Hill kid from Georgia yes. is who you're yep. thinking of. And then uh, I expect uh, KJ Lacey to get offered at some point in time today. The kid from uh, from Alabama or from uh, yeah from Alabama. So. And then George McIntyre, you did you mention him? I did not. No. But okay. He's a good yeah, George too. McIntyre from Tennessee's got offered today. He's a pretty good player. So yeah, there's some, there's some really good some really good quarterbacks so far. But yeah. you know, I mean, there there's some. David Sanders is a. I mean, and he it, you know so Brian Smith actually had a chance to talk to him down in uh, uh, down at uh, one of the, the Under Armour camps that Brian was at, and he said the kid is legit interested in Notre Dame. So they're going to have to kind of get going on him here real, real immediately because he is an absolute, I mean, legit top five, top 10 national player already type of player. I I wouldn't be shocked if he's the number one player in the class eventually. One of the services already has him ranked number one. So, and it's, it's, it's legit. He is, and he goes to a private school. He goes to Charlotte Providence day, which is where Osita Ekwanu came from. So he's a really good player. I mean, I'll be honest with you. So far, I'm a lot more impressed with the 2025 class on film than I am the 2024 class, just nationally. There's some dudes in 24. There's always dudes, but it, it's not a it's not a super excite me class so far. A lot of positions. The 25 yeah. class, the, from what I've seen so far, is loaded. And there's a legacy recruit that I watched. It. I was like, okay, yeah, his dad played in her name. I get why they're offering. But then you actually pop in James Flanagan's film, whose dad was Jim Flanagan, who played T-Tack on the 93 team. You're like, this kid can play. He's like 6'5", 230. You know, like he's a little bit gangly. You know, he's like a sophomore, yeah. you know, typical tall sophomore, kind of grown into his body. But he's got, when he starts running straight, he's like, he's fast. He's got good hands. He's, he he uh, battles in the run game. So he's a legit and, good player. And- and he's a and he's a left winger for their twenty eight and no hockey team, state championship oh, hockey wow. team too. So he's so. got some toughness. I mean, if you're playing hockey up in Wisconsin, you're you're pretty good. You're pretty good Co- player. Coordination too, right? Coordination yeah. and balance. You got all oh, those yeah. tools working for oh, you. Yeah. So, yeah, man, yep. he's a good one. I mean, there's, you know, what's crazy too, Brian is like all these. You know, we, we I threw a little bit of shade at the linebackers earlier for like twenty one guys or so getting offered, right? But, there's some guys in there. There's some dudes there though, man. Like there's some they're all like six three plus too. Like they're yeah. all long, Very man. Long, like rangy what? guys. <laughs> yeah. uh, and the other good thing too about a lot of those linebackers is Ryan, is a lot of them are from regions that you know you you'd think should be pretty friendly to Notre Dame. Obviously, we, we talked about Jeremiah Wusu Koromoa's brother. Uh if you haven't seen Anthony Saka play, watch Anthony Saka because he's a he's a, he'll be a linebacker in college. He's a freaking free safety in high school. <laughs> Like and, and he, you know, he reminds me a lot of Jack Kaiser in high school, but a six one or you know, Jack was like six foot six one. This kid's like six three and long. He's flipping his hips. I, I watched him earlier today. He was pedaling. He like flips his hips, undercuts a post route, picks it yeah. off. You're like, this is a rover wheel kid that's going to be a dude. And he's from a Catholic school in Philadelphia. And so and, you're just like, 
man, that's the kind of kid you got to go after. So he's another kid that I like a lot. When you first told me he was visiting, I thought you were talking about Anthony Specker. Specker. Well, I'm not a huge fan of in the 24 yeah. class, but I mean, he's okay. He, he hasn't progressed Solid. a lot from when he was a freshman. But no, when I watch this kid play, I was like, okay, this kid can really play. So there's some dudes. There's some. There's a lot of kids from Pennsylvania on the list today. Some Jersey kids that are really good players. Illinois kids. So yep. look and say there's some and and there's some legit players and highly ranked guys from regions that are very pro Notre Dame, and that yep. kind of gets you a little bit fired up, in my opinion. At least for me, it does. Saka's father played at Penn State, Brian, and he was actually a teammate with Al Golden at Penn State. Okay. So there there's go. a little connection there. There you go. Be good. Yeah, he can Hopefully. play, man. He can play. <laughs> so, yeah, there's a lot of offers, man, that got me fired up about today. And there's going to be more to come. You yeah. know, there's going to be more to come. There's some – so it's a good like, – I'm looking through the linebacker list, and I'm, like, rolling my eyes when I first saw the list, and I was like, okay, whatever. And then I start watching film, and I'm like, this dude can ball. It's it, – I'll say it's it's one of the – so far – it's early yet, but it's one of the yeah. deepest linebacker classes I've seen in a long time. A long time. You could end up with 10, 15 top 100 linebackers, legit top 100 caliber linebackers in this class, right? At least from what yeah. I've seen so far. It's a really good linebacker class. I I talked earlier to Elijah Barnes that got offered. He's out of this. um, He's out of Texas. um, And his team, Brian, went 0 and 10 last year, right? So I watched his little bit of his film this morning. And the first play, dude, like middle of the field, dropping one handed snag interception. This like 6 3 linebacker. Oh, okay. We got something here, man. We got something here. So there's some dudes at the linebacker spot. No doubt. He can play. He can play. Yeah, it's it's a good class. From John A1, since 2000, what is Notre Dame's most fundamental team? 2012. I mean, that's always the first the first team that pops in my head. That was a pretty fundamentally sound team, in my opinion. They didn't beat themselves. Yeah. They didn't get it. I mean, until the championship game. And then they a lot of the mistakes they made all year, didn't make all year, they made missed tackles. It's like there's this notion that like Alabama just ran over Notre Dame. And I'm like, they did the linebackers. But if you go back and watch the defensive line, Notre Dame's defensive line played well that game. Yeah. How many times did we see Manti and Zeke Mata just whiffing on tackles like at the line of scrimmage? I'm like, D-line did their job. You got your linebacker, your All-American linebacker keyed up in the hole, and they're just whiffing. Yeah. We came to find out that Manti had a lot of other things on his mind going into that game. But you know, D-line played well that game. But outside of that game, that was a very fundamentally sound, don't beat themselves, be in the right place football team. Yep. And that I don't think there was another team that was anywhere close. 18 was decent in some areas. Uh, defensively, they were very fundamentally sound. Offensively, the, not as much. That's the problem. In recent years, the offense hasn't been a very fundamentally sound unit. Like from like 18 to, you know, 21, it wasn't a very fundamentally – because your receivers weren't coached worth a darn. Your O-line was mediocre. You know, it just – it wasn't real good. Defense has been very fundamentally sound from – you know, Elko started it, and then obviously Clark Lee built on it. Last two teams have not been as fundamentally sound on defense as the Elko and Lee teams were, to be completely honest with you, and that's got to get better. 2012 is an interesting one because there's – I mean, I think like defensively too, Brian, like there was a lot of defensive players. Uh, you know, I'm just kind of recollecting here, you know, because obviously, you know, Manti was an all-time great, right? But there were some players in that defense that I didn't think were the most – physically impressive athletes of all time, but they were just good football players that year, right? So that tells you that they were probably coached really well. Like I think of Zeke Mata, right? Zeke Mata was a 6'2", 250-pound safety. Not a great athlete, though. Like he was a you know a marginal athlete, but he had a really good year that year because he For was safety. coached 
really right. well. You know, for a safety, he was a marginal athlete. You put yes. him at rover or even will linebacker, and all of a sudden, he's a much better athlete. But for the position he was asked to play, you're absolutely right, Ryan. It was he was a marginal athlete for that position. But your yep. point is great. He was physical. That team was very physical. That 12 yep. team was very physical. And he was always in the right place. Diaco always. did a great job with that team. It was Diaco and Chuck Martin. I think, no, Chuck Martin had moved over to offense. I think Bobby Elliott, I think, was on that staff. I'm going to have to look it up. But, you know, you had Mike Elston was coaching the D-line. So, uh, you know, that was a very fundamentally sound football team. It was. I, I think Bobby Elliott was on that team. Obviously, Diaco coached the linebackers. You had Kerry Cooks was coaching, I think, the the – the corners and then yes Bobby Elliott was coaching the, the late Bobby Elliott who's a really good football coach really good football coach uh, did a nice job there Kerry Cooks did a really solid job with the cornerbacks you know you had a true freshman starting on that team so um yeah it's uh that was a really well coached football team yeah uh, really very much so no doubt no good question good question John and a question from well we're waiting I love that. I love that. That's fantastic. How, how many pots, pots of gold went out for today? Any surprises in who did or didn't get one? We hit on this one a little bit. There's going to be more that are circulating throughout the rest of the day, but we're expecting 85 plus in the yeah. pot of gold conversation. Yeah. And that doesn't mean like it's not 85 new offers to the board. There's a few offers that were already on the board, but they get, you know, the pot of gold still. Yeah. It's like a reoffering type of thing. So we're expecting upwards of 85 today, right? which was 30 more than it was last year. Just for some yeah. context, there was like 50 something last year. So Yeah, they're, uh, they better not ha- leave anybody out of this one that uh, like they did Justin Scott last year that they better not make that mistake again but no they're not I mean this is a really good effort it's I mean it's just the coaches are very engaged on this I mean I know some coaches that are on vacation and they're caught they're talking to kids today while on vacation you know uh because obviously that spring breaks they're in this week spring ball sparks some of these coaches are taking a couple days off so they're not a lot of these guys aren't even in town and they're doing this which is really impressive for me. It's really impressive. So, and th- this um, this event is the cultivation of months and months and months of work, right? So, I mean, hats off. I, I feel like we don't give Notre Dame pro- program enough credit. Sometimes I'm not saying me or you. I'm saying just in general from the consensus is like they've been working on this for a long time, man, yeah. and they put together a really impressive list, in my opinion. Well, you can thank Chad Bowden for a lot of that. I mean, that's the yeah. that's the reality of it. Is Chad does a great job with this kind of stuff, and you know, uh, we don't talk as much about him as we used to because I think it's just kind of we're just kind of used to it. But but he has a big hand in this, and his team. It's not just him. He's got a team of people that work with him uh, that I think do a really good job. They work hard. They grind. They come up with really cool ideas. They break down it. And he's the thing about Chad that people have to understand is Ryan. He's not just like a recruiting gimmicky guy. He's also a guy that evaluates players. You yeah. and I have come to appreciate the job he does where he finds some very underrated players on the board yep. and uh, and goes after them. So he's you know he's a lot he's not he's not just a hey, let's organize this and come up with cool graphics like a lot of the back end people like like uh, Aaron Kearney was kind of that way. Um, and he did an okay job, but he was more of a of an, an organizer of the events. I didn't really care much for his evaluations. I don't, I, th- I don't think Dave Polokland can evaluate his way out of a wet paper bag. And he used to be involved with evaluating players, but he was good at organizing and things like that. And that was fine in the structure, but he shouldn't have been involved in anything involving evaluating players. Chad can evaluate players. 
right? And I know some people at Notre Dame don't like the antics, but you know what? This is 2023. Those antics are needed to make Notre Dame relevant. They work, and he can evaluate talent. So he 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 him and his staff deserve a big hand for what is going on today. Because honestly, a lot of the kids that they're going after today are guys that him and his group have found, or the chat has found that because the coaches can't. The, 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 there's just ten coaches. They can't. Yeah scour the entire you need that back office group of people that can evaluate film and say hey let me pass this one along to the to the coach and you need to be able to trust that group and from the people that i know there's a lot of i don't know all the coaches but the coaches i know trust chad a lot and yeah. uh you know we'll, we'll give him the benefit of the doubt so uh that's something that um that it makes this a lot easier to be able to put out a list as this big uh, today, it, yeah. you know, his group deserves a lot of credit for that. And I, I don't know what Chad's, you know, long-term goals are in football and everything, but I mean, that evaluation background, I wouldn't be surprised if he's in the NFL at some point, right? Like, yeah. would you be shocking to you if he's in like a scouting department in an NFL team at some you know, point? Like the only reason I would say I'd be surprised is because I really feel like Chad likes college. working with young people. I, I yeah. do. I think he likes being the way that he is. I think he likes being able to engage with young people and have that kind of impact. I do. I think, I think I wouldn't be shocked Ryan from the standpoint of, you know, somebody might want him at some point in time, but I just think his personality is just geared more towards college. I think, I think the concern that I have is more geared towards if Notre Dame doesn't, you know, make some changes, then there's going to be some other programs are going to just try to, take him from and there already are but he's pretty loyal to marcus freeman but yeah you know that notre dame's got to make some i'll just leave it there notre dame's got to make some changes in, you, in my you opinion have, to really you, have, you have to keep chad bowden as long as you can if you're notre yes. dame you have to keep him yes. as long as you possibly can yep him mike mickens yep. chancy stucky you know guys like that you got to try to keep them as long as you can absolutely correct absolutely correct Question from John A1. Since 2000, who has been the most effective slot receiver? Uh, probably Golden say – Golden Tate was the one that popped in my head. 2000, but he wasn't really a, a slot receiver, though, at Notre Dame. He was more of an outside guy. You had him on one side, Michael Flynn on the outside, and you had like um, – I'm trying to think. They had other like – David uh, Grimes at one point was a slot guy. So Golden was more of an outside guy. He would line up in the slot at times, but he was primarily not an outside – a slot guy at Notre Dame. Yeah, you know, we you have like Theo Riddick in 2010 and 11 was pretty solid. I mean, honestly, I think the best individual season from a slot, in my opinion, was Chris Fink in 2018. He was That's really good, good in 2018. That's a good I one. mean, USC was just early in the game. Like, we're just not going to let the outside receivers beat us. And they're they just they had some big corners and 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 they were run blitzing. And it was just like they were like Chris Fink can't hurt us. And he went out and had like seven catches for 100 yards in the first half of that game in 18. And they remember they were down 10 nothing in that game. And Chris had a one of the best throws Ian Book ever made was in that game. That corner route for a touchdown in the first half to Chris Fink that was a phenomenal throw and and an even better catch to stay in bounds. So I'll probably go Chris Fink 2018 for me was the best slot that Notre Dame's had since 2000. Just off the top of my head. Yeah, uh, forty plus catches, five hundred some yards, and he had clutch plays. That's the thing for me, right? Like that, he had a huge touchdown catch in the opener against Michigan. We outplayed two guys for the football and that bomb for Brandon Wimbush. He had the big game against uh, against USC at the end, which secured a playoff spot. So, you know, he came up big in the big games too, and and that that matters a lot to me. It, and he was a pure slot where you know Golden played inside, outside. He did a little bit of everything. So I would I would say probably Chris Fink would be one for me. 
Uh, oh. Matt Shelton was a very underrated player on that 05 team in the slot with Samarja and uh, – because remember, Rama got hurt well, yeah. for a uh, second game of the year. Yep. And Matt Shelton had a couple big plays for them that year as well. So that that would be my – that'd be my – anybody else you 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 want to – Theo's a good one. one. Theo Riddick's a good one. Yeah. You know. Theo was just a really – He's like the perfect gadget player, isn't he? Like you could make him yeah. into such a great gadget player today because he could play running back. He could play slot receiver. I wish he honestly played a little bit more in like this more modern era today because I think Theo would have been dynamic potentially in college versus a really good player that he was, you know? Like I think he could have been even more utilized than what he was because I don't think you had to – I feel like it with, with where he was in his career, right? It's like you're a wide receiver and then you're a running back. And it's just like – could have been a little bit of both, you yeah. know, a little bit more of. So. Because he started as a he started as a running back at Notre Dame in 09. He was recruited as a running back, started a running back, and then in moved to um moved to receiver that that in 2010 when Kelly came on, played that yep. in 10 in uh, uh 10 and 11, moved back to running back late in 2011 when Jonas Gray got hurt. If you remember, he played a lot of running back against Stanford that year. And then uh, obviously finished his career as a running back. So yeah, I would have liked yeah. to see him, like you said, be a. He could have been a really good gadget player in in the, in like you know in a an Oregon type of offense, per- Percy type Harvin of type of vibes, like those types yeah. of guys. Yeah, yeah, exactly. All right, here we go. Here's another one, Ryan. Domer Grizz, happy Friday, you too, sir. Which coaches, one on offense, one on defense, have the most to prove this spring? Well, I think Jared Parker on offense is the easy one because he's yes. the, the offensive coordinator, and and you know obviously he's got a big, a lot more on his plate this year than he did last year. I thought he did a great job last year. At tight ends, he's he's the one on offense. Defensively, I mean, look, it's, it's still the coordinators, right? I mean, Al Golden's got to do, or Al Washington's got to do a lot better job. There's no doubt. But at the end of the day, the guy that primarily has to step up is Al is Al Washington. I think or Al Golden. I think those the two coordinators to me are the guys that have the most to prove this year. Yep. End of the day, because look, as a coordinator, you have a say in what the defensive line coach is doing and what the safeties coach is doing and what the running backs coach is doing and the receivers coach is doing and all that type of stuff. Right. So it's up. It's up to you to make. I mean, you've got to hold them accountable as well. Then the head coach has got to hold you accountable for the job that's getting done. So right. it's the two coordinators for me, Ryan. They're, they're yeah, I, I was going to say it was definitely Al Golden for me as well on the defensive side of the football, because like you said, Brian, it's. If Al Washington isn't doing a good job, it's Al Golden's job as the overseer of the defense to give him a little kick in the butt, you know, and be right. like, hey, brother, <laughs> like, let's get back on track here, right? Like, this is what we need out of this defensive line at Notre Dame. So I think I think it's definitely the coordinators. I mean, because – and then on the offensive side of the football, you brought back a lot of guys that you already knew about, right? Like, I mean, I guess I could pick Joe Rudolph, but, like, I think that I have confidence in what Joe Rudolph's going to be. He's a more known commodity. Jared Parker's not a known commodity as an offensive coordinator. So there's a lot on his plate. And there's high expectations on the offensive side of the football as well. Like, we can't escape that. You have a really talented offensive line coming back. You have some playmakers. You have a quarterback that's been wildly successful during his career as college quarterback. So there's a lot of pressure on the offense to be really good this year. And I think that Jared Parker has the abilities to step up, step up to the plate, but we have to see it obviously. Yeah, no doubt. All right. We got one here. Here's Katie Kievers is with us. I think she said she just put her kids down for a nap so she could watch the show. So love it. Love it, Katie. Katie's question is which would make a bigger statement to the national media, a blowout win against Ohio state, USC or Clemson. I think it's Ohio, Ohio State. State. Oh, easy. Yeah. Ohio State. Ohio <laughs> yeah. State. I mean, if you think about it, Notre Dame's blown out Clemson. the other two teams already. 
Yeah. I mean, they, they blew out USC multiple times in the last four or five years. Uh, they've blown, they blew out Clemson this past year and it was big. I mean, you blow out Ohio state that, that, that sends a, that sends a message that just man, like bro, Notre Dame is not, they are not joking around this year. They are not joking around this year. Yeah, it's definitely that one. Because the last couple of meetings, I mean, obviously it was 21 to 10 last year, and it was a competitive football game for anybody to watch. But a couple of games before that, Brian, like Ohio State Notre Dame was a lopsided game when they play, had played each other, you know, over the course of the last few years. So I think for me, it's, it's definitely Ohio State because honestly, I think people just want to beat Ohio State. Like it doesn't matter about blowing them out, right? But you've beaten those other two teams, you've blown them out. Ohio State, it's about winning the football game first and foremost. And if you, blow them out that like sends shockwaves especially that because they're midwestern schools too right they're both in you know a similar region so you know Notre Dame being able to to do that and then to, sh- to showcase their dominance against a team like that I think that that would that would send shockwaves across college football honestly yeah, it's about as big of a statement game as Notre Dame can have outside of blowing out Georgia or Alabama or right. beating them in the postseason uh, there's no doubt Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details. From Hulk Strongest. Got a super chat from Hulk Strongest, yeah. yeah. Appreciate you. Hey, guys, let's say they use Chris Tyree the correct way. What would his numbers look like? Oh, that's a really good question. I mean, to yeah. me, I'd say four, I'd say about a 1,000 yards of total offense would be make me very happy. You know, where yeah. he's, you know, about five to 600 receiving or about about four to five hundred rushing four to five hundred receiving i'm just talking offense not special teams that that would be that would absolutely be where i would go because i the thing about if you're using chris tyree correctly it's not even just about his numbers we saw this last year i mean it was against cow where they had gotten chris tyree going early next thing you know they send him in motion cow just completely overreacts and they run like a little angle route backside to Audric Estime, and they just hit him on like a little five-yard pass. He catches it and runs. We saw it against North yeah. Carolina where they had gotten him outside in the perimeter and they got Logan Diggs on the perimeter, and they just bang an inside zone, and just Audric Estime just splits them because they're all flying outside. And I don't know why they went away from that stuff. I mean, that those were both with Drew Pine at quarterback. I, I don't understand why they went away from that stuff and didn't use Chris Tyree more that way because when they did, their offense became far more predictable. So, And we saw it again in the, in the, in the bowl game where they did use Chris Tyree more and, and he didn't get a ton of touches, but he was there. He was going in motion. He was, he, he did get some touches. And so like we talked about this earlier, there was a play in that game where they ran an outside zone, like, or not an outside. Zone. It was like a, a, almost like a buck sweep. They pulled both guards. It was early in the game. If you remember, right. And they were kind of backed up. They were running to their, to left, to the left and the on screens left to right. And Chris Tyree got tackled for like a four or five yard loss. But the way that South Carolina handled that play Notre Dame later in the game went back to where they ran that same action but this time they just had Tyler Buckner keep it and 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 they went backside with it South Carolina flew to the Chris Tyree side and so then you've got two pullers going around the edge and they just didn't have enough guys to defend Notre Dame and Tyler Buckner went for a big play 
uh, I think it was the the touchdown pass to Braden Lindsey, uh, if I remember correctly. I'm actually going to go pull this one up again real quick. But I believe they sent Chris Tyree on a motion to that in that direction. I believe and, so too. And they kind of went over top of it, and he was able to go make a play on it. So, um, so Chris Tyree went on a motion, and safety rolled down, and Braden Lindsey just ran by him. So it was wild how you know a guy that Notre Dame fans don't like very good. Every time he's on the field, defenses seem to not have the same opinion that Notre Dame fans do of Chris Tyree. You go back and watch games when Notre Dame is actually using Chris Tyree effectively. He's hard to defend. And you know exactly why South Carolina was worried about that, because they saw what happened against Clemson. Yeah. And when he was getting outside the pocket and it was just like, man, you and I, I remember you and I talking about this at the time, Ryan, like, I don't understand why Notre Dame went away from that because they were they were scared of of of, of that. He was hurt. He was starting to gash them, and then they just kind of went away from it. But uh, I mean, it was it was really effective, really effective, Ryan. And I'm actually pulling up the touchdown pass. The touchdown it's a, it's, pass now. It's a good note though, Brian, because you know South Carolina watched that Clemson game a lot because it's a common opponent that they played, right? Correct. So like they know how they matched up with Clemson. Well, they, they, they not only that, that, Ryan, they watched that game preparing for Clemson. Like sure. that would have been film they watched preparing for Clemson even before the bowl game started, you know? Yeah. So yeah, I'm watching this Chris Tyree play right now. Uh, the the Braden Lindsay touchdown. If you watch it, Chris Tyree goes in a jet motion. Like their nickel and their safety are both stopping or working outside. And by the time the safety realizes what's happening, Braden Lindsay's already even with them. And yeah. if Braden Lindsay gets even with you, you're done. It's over. You have no <laughs> chance. You have no chance. And I mean, it was a great play usage. And I just, again, I don't understand why they didn't do more stuff like that during the season. I really don't. What's what's the what's the uh, what's the expression, Brian? If you're if you're even, I'm leaving, right? Like that's just well, for a fast guy. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I mean, he was sad. even, and he was facing downhill. Yeah, and the guy actually did a pretty good job of recovering, but yeah. he he was playing catch up the whole time, so he couldn't make a play on the ball. And Tyler Buckner threw it out where only Braden Lindsay can go get it, and it was a touchdown. Right. I don't understand why they don't do that more because when they did it, it was effective. And that's the point is it's not just his touches. It's what those touches then do to the opponent. Because say what you want about Chris Torrey. He's a home. He's one of the fastest players in college football. There's no question. And teams know it. They've seen him do it. And they're like, yeah, we're not going to let that guy rip off a big run. And next thing you know, Audrey Gestime is ripping him right up the middle. Logan Diggs is ripping him right up the middle. And man, it's got to be done, man. It's got to be done. And, and I also think that there's got to be a better way to utilize him with the football in his hands as well, too, right? Because like you said, I mean, he's the ultimate decoy, man, because you can't teach that speed, right? It's like your eyes have to go to him because he's a 4-3 athlete, like at the end of the day. But, I mean, there's no reason he should be averaging – what did he end up last year? 4.2 yards a carry or something yes. like that? Like, yeah. nah, man, he needs to be like five and a half, six plus he somewhere in that six. ballpark. He needs to be yeah. definitely over six. There's yeah. no question. And then passing game-wise, I mean, 10 plus as far as pass receiving average. I mean, he should be a – I think the two words that you always use for the offense is efficient and explosive. And I think that comes down to what Chris Tyree is, right? Like, he needs to be – efficiently explosive because when he's efficient he is an explosive player when he's used correctly and that's where it is i think that's the big key is use him correctly i'm really hoping that this staff just figures out a way to use him correctly because again he he doesn't have to be a high volume guy to make an impact 
that's and, the he, and, and he's clearly and he's clearly bought into right like to this program to this staff i mean it could have been very easy for right after the season for chris tyree to be like i'm out of here man <laughs> like peace. yep and yep. he's still here man he's still here yep no he's definitely bought into notre dame and if you know if you know the the tyree family at all it doesn't surprise you it's a big act i see his dad tweeting out his kids grades as much as he tweets out their track and football accomplishments you know i mean and you can see it because they put a lot they, they, the whole family because he's got two younger brothers they take a lot of pride in being well-rounded like I, I don't want you to just be a great football player you need to be a great football player you need to be a great young person you need to be a great student yeah. that's what's demanded and that's one reason i have a ton of respect for the tyree family i mean his, his parents do a great job and it's it's not just chris though it's all, it's both of his two younger brothers too i think i saw during the football season one of his brothers i think it was nick tweets out that he got a 4.0 that's you know awesome. what I mean? Like, and Chris had great grades as well. So uh, that's why you understand why Chris is one of those kids that's seeing it through because that's how he's raised. He was raised to see it through. You're going to get your degree from Notre Dame and things don't go right this year. You still got another year to play. You can go play somewhere else and, you know, yep. work on your masters if you need to. But sounds hopefully like a, they do right by him this year. And I hope that they do. Sounds like a great, great pair of parents and a great family. Oh, man. yeah. Oh, yeah. there's no doubt about that. There's no doubt about that. All right. Let's get to some more questions here, Ryan. Here we go. From Domer Grizz, since everything is cyclical, what outdated football strategy, offensive or defense, do you think will be the next trend to come back? I don't know if I'd say strategy. I think I, I guess you could use this this is fullback the fullback. I think the fullback will come back at some point in time uh, because I think that there's and, and now it could be in a different format. It may not be the six foot one, two hundred forty pound guy like you know Nebraska used to have all the time. Uh, or the end that was, you know, the, like it's like every team, like a, a William Floyd type of guy, you yes. know what I mean? That body type, you know, uh, Lorenzo Neal types just, and all just that. just a block of humanity. Yes. Howard Griffith, you know, that yeah. those guys. Uh, I don't know if it'll look like that, but I think it'll it, probably look more like Kyle Juice check that plays for the 49 Sherwood for Notre yeah. Dame has got more yeah. of a tight, a fullback body than a tight end body, kind of an H guy. But I, I think. As teams get more spread, teams get smaller at linebacker, uh, teams get less physical, more focused on you know playing for width, not so much downhill, you're going to have some team that's going to figure out a way to emphasize the fullback in the run game and use it really effectively. I mean, Oklahoma does it, did it under Lincoln Riley. They would use a fullback type of player really effectively. Yeah, And I could see that becoming a thing again in my view where, where, you know, again, you got to be able to catch the ball, the backfield, stuff like that. But I could see that becoming a thing again, especially in the NFL. I think that's where you could see it even more. Ryan is some team is going to say, okay, I'm in this division and we got a bunch of teams that, that are really small and fast on defense because we are. So we're going to come in like Harbaugh did at Stanford back in 09. And we're just going to, we're going to hammer you. We're going to go get ourselves a big old fit physical running back. We're going to ourselves a legit six, two, 245 pound fullback and catch the football. And we're just going to, you're just not going to be ready for us because you're just not going to be big enough to handle what we're doing. Some yeah. team will do that and it'll work and they'll win a lot. And then other people start to mimic it to a degree. I think that would be one that I'd feel most comfortable saying, right? I think the changing of defensive fronts from like what the volume perspective is one that like changes back and forth so often. I mean, Brian, do you remember like the, not, like the late 80s and then into the 90s, like the 3-4 defense was it, man. Like you played three down linemen, you had four linebackers. And then in like the 2000s, teams started going more, much more heavily. It's more of an, an NFL perspective, but it started going much more into like you needed four down linemen, right? Like four down for consistent pass rushing purposes, all that great stuff, right? 
But now you're seeing it, especially in college football now. I mean, how many teams run three-man fronts all the time, right? Where it's just like you went from three heavy to almost exclusively four for a while, and then now you're getting back to three. I think that the fronts are like the easiest cyclical thing because literally it just goes from three to four back and forth, right, to an even or odd band fronts depending on what area you're in. And I think the other one too, Brian, for me is that with the with defense is playing so much more nickel nowadays, I think that the next thing is that teams are going to start running the football at a higher volume than they have over the last few years, right? They're going to say, you have a lighter personnel in the game. What am I going to do to beat you? I'm going to run the football <laughs> down your throats. I mean. I just have to draft one back capable of doing it. I don't need I don't like I don't need to like rehaul my entire offensive line. I mean, one of the best running teams I've ever seen in my lifetime was always made fun of for being small. That was the Broncos, you know, and and uh there's things you can do to be it and they were a physical running team. They weren't a soft, I mean, they ran outside zone, they ran stretch, the fast wipe stuff, but they were physical at the point of attack. And if you don't think they were, go ask Gilbert Brown if they were physical or not, right? So I I could see because you don't. It's easier for me to switch to that Ryan than it is for you to change your defensive philosophy and draft a, a bunch of different type of linebackers. I'm just yes, uh, agree completely. And that's kind of you and I are on the same page, Ryan. I, I think those two things go hand in hand a little bit. Yeah, you know what I mean. Is 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 especially in this era of pass catching tight ends. You give me yeah. 21 personnel can look a whole lot different if I have George Kittle at tight end. Sure. Because I have, I can basically be in a three receiver type of situation, but also still be able to go, you know, block like I'm in twelve personnel basically, and you, and they can give you a give you a lot of a lot of things to do. No you, you know what I also I think could happen too is in the heavy RPO era that we're in right now, especially in the NFL level, I wouldn't be surprised, and I think you're seeing a little bit where the running back position starts getting bigger now, right? Like bigger bodies because those all purpose backs that we used to know and love are now becoming those slot receivers that are going to catch RPOs all day. Like maybe that, and you know, the gadget players, the Debo Samuels of the world. 10, 15 years ago, Debo Samuels is probably a running back. Like he's probably not a slot receiver like he played in South Carolina and what he's played in the NFL. So I think running back body types might get bigger because those all-purpose type players are more prominent in that slot role now in the NFL where you're just going to throw them RPO screens and, you know, quick glances and that type of stuff now. So I think the archetype of the running back might be changing as well, potentially. Yeah, no doubt. Especially if like the Titans do keep Derrick Henry or whoever trades for him goes out and wins because of him. Then it, it look NFL more, even more than college football is a copycat league, man. And that's just what, that's just what they do. It just, it's always been that way our entire lives. I mean, it just, it's just, it's not going to change. <laughs> it's, no. it's definitely not going to change. You got another one from uh, uh, Ryan. Do you do you play the computer game Civilization? This is never this guy asked this question yesterday. I've never played the game either, so I can't really answer that question. So, sorry, John. Yeah, sorry. TB twelve for Heisman. Best guess at who is going to be the first commit of the twenty twenty five class? Who's the best commit overall? Who's the next Goodness. commit overall? Yeah. Oh man, I have no idea. I mean, part of me wants to say one of the legacies, right? Bettis or or Flanagan would be my my best guess, but I honestly couldn't tell you. I have no idea. Yeah, yeah, that's a tough one. That's a tough one. TB twelve. Uh, who's the, the? But I guess we could kind of tackle the next one after that, though, Brian. It's like who's the next commit overall? So that's like any class, right? Obviously, we're working through yeah. there. Twenty twenty four. I would say this, man. There's a lot of really important visits coming up with a lot of kids this spring, especially into the blue and gold game. 
One guy I would keep an eye on is Kennedy Erlacher, who's visiting in April 15th. I think he's in a very good spot with Notre Dame. I think Notre Dame has done everything they need to do. I think that they have family supports for this for the program as well. So if that visit goes well April 15th, I wouldn't be surprised if things are trending heavily in the direction of Notre Dame because I think things are already in a good spot. But again, like where's going to be several guys. And if you're not on the message board at boards.irishbreakdown.com, I think one of the best things we have outside of, you know, just the intel that we provide from a team and recruiting perspective is, oh, you know, the, the visitor list I think is very up to date. So if you want to see some of those, you know, consistent yeah. lists, that uh, I think that's very important. So Kennedy Urlacher might be a guy to keep an eye on. But again, there's a lot of talented kids that are already set to make visits on campus this spring. I mean, uh, yeah, I, I don't really know who it would be. I don't, I mean, there's several guys I could see. I could see Bryce Young, you know, going soon. I could see, I'll tell you a guy that I think that Notre Dame is in a much better position with that might surprise some fans who's going to visit this month as well as Jaden Riddell. I think yes. Notre Dame is in a much better situation with him than a lot of people think. And it's yeah. not just because of the CJ car. I mean, it, yeah. I've been hearing this for a while. Yes. They're in a much better position with him than people think. Very nice Jason family, Riddell. by the way, the Riddells. And, and so. yes, Kennedy Erlacher is Brian Erlacher's son. Yes. yes. Yep. So uh, somebody asked that in the, in the chat. And he, li- he lived in Chicago for 12 years before moving out to Arizona. So, yep. Yeah. Um, I'm going to ask this question of you, Ryan, just because I want to see your face. I'm going <laughs> to, oh, no. I'm going to ask this one, but John Mayer and it says favorite uh, boy band back in the nineties, new kids on the block. First of all, new kids on the block is from the eighties. Uh, Backstreet boys in seek or 98 degrees. I mean, if that's my if that's my choice, I would go Backstreet Boys, I guess. But I, I wasn't really a boy band guy, though, yeah. so. Yeah. I only listen to boy bands when you're with a girl because she likes the boy bands. That's about the only time. That's how I was degrees. with country music for a long time. Like, I would I, listen to country music if the girl I was trying to, you know, get with at the time, like country music, about it. So, so Brian, my uh, my mother used to be a mat when I was a young kid. My man, my mom, my mother was a manager of a Seven Eleven. Boy bands, yes, agree, agree, yes. Chris. But my, my mom was a manager of a 7-Eleven, and they used to have this little um, CD rack. And they mm-hmm. used to like when they wouldn't get bought after a certain amount of time, you would just be able to take them if you wanted them. And I remember I had a ninety-eight degrees one when I was like seven, I think, or something like that. Man, it was so bad, such bad music. I can't even imagine what you're saying because you're muted. So that's good, though. It's probably best. I said that's <laughs> moral of stories. That's probably a story you should have took to your grave. <laughs> well, I mean, I, I so. listened to it like once and I'm like, wow, this stinks. So we're yeah. not going to do that again. Yeah, it's pretty <laughs> terrible. Here we go. Here, let's get back on track with some football questions here. We got one from John A1. John A1 says, how would you project the 2024 offensive line class playing out under Joe Rudolph? It's a good question, John. I mean, you're, you have a – you have a great initial baseline. I mean, I've talked to Peter Jones within the last week, and I put something on the message board about my conversation with him, and I think that he's fully bought in to Joe Rudolph. So I think that you have solidified Peter Jones in the class after the transition from Harry Heastan. He is a really talented offensive lineman that I know me and Brian both like, you know, based on our conversations in the past. And he's a player that plays right tackle, but he projects better inside at guard on the next level. That's I who? Think, who? I didn't uh, hear who Peter you Jones. Okay, Peter yes. Jones. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So Peter Jones is definitely one that has been solidified after Joe Rudolph came on, in my opinion. After that, man, it's about – I don't think it's going to be a bigger class. I think it's going to be a smaller offensive line class, but it's important after that to get true offensive tackle types. The most talented player on the board, in my opinion, is Gerby Lambert, uh, obviously out of the state of Massachusetts, who is 
Uh, same high school as Bubakar Triori, who was in the 2023 class for Notre Dame, 6'7", 280-plus. He's a really talented, true blindside protector type of kid. I think Notre Dame's in a good spot, but like you need to get him back on campus, right? Like You need to get him on campus, and you need to lock that one down because Gerby Lambert is quietly one of the more important players in the 2024 class for Notre Dame overall, not just on the offensive line. So Gerby Lambert, I think, has to be a guy that Notre Dame pushes hard for, obviously. And then if it's a three-man class, that my pick would be Caleb Brewer, personally. Like That oh, would yes. be the guy that I would take. Because he is, I know Notre Dame likes him a ton. 6'5", 300 pounds, high school tight ends. That kid, I think, can play offensive line on the on the college level. But if nothing else, man, he's going to be a kick-butt guard. Like, he has that type of upside. He honestly, Brian, I know we were talking about this the other day. I think he could play all five positions if he wanted to on the college yeah. level. I truly no do. Doubt. Really no talented doubt. player. No doubt. Uh, I think they're going to go to four. I think they're going to end up going to four in this class. I, I don't think there's any doubt. I think just the way that it's going to work out, I think they're going to go to four. I'll tell you a guy that I really like. And again, I, I, how would you project? I don't know how it's going to pan out. I know what I would like. Sure. And if I could kind of do sort of my ideal offensive line class, like if things go exactly the way that I want them to go from here until signing day, it's yeah. Peter Jones, Caleb Brewer, Gearby Lambert, and Liam Andrews from from uh, Massachusetts. I'd be fine with Styles Prescott. I like him as well. But that four right there, that's sort of my you know, dream class. Uh, because I really like Liam Andrews. I mean, you, you watch him play defense, you're like, this guy's an athlete. And I know he's listed as an interior offensive lineman. I think he's pretty long, right? I think he could end up being like a Zach Martin type of tackle in college. Maybe not in the NFL, okay. but in college, he could be a he could be a tackle as well. So yeah. Uh, and he's definitely athletic enough to play on the outside. There's no doubt about that. Now, he's got to add weight. He's like 270. He's going to have to put some weight on where the other guys are already like 300 pounders, basically. Yeah. But I really like the Liam Andrews kid as a player. That would be my ideal four-man class. Yep. There's no doubt. And then after that, I mean, yeah. you mentioned other guys that are on the board for Notre Dame. You mentioned Styles Prescott, who's obviously an in-state player in the state of Indiana for Notre Dame um, for, for Notre Dame board. They have Kevin Haywood, who's out of Pennsylvania, who's a bigger guy. He's like 6'7", 295 already. I know, you know, Andrew Sprague out of Missouri is on the board for Notre yeah. Dame. Another gigantic kid. He's tall, very big kid. Well, little, big and strong and physical. A little stiff for yeah. me, to be yeah. honest with you, Ryan. Um, that's my only knock on him. He's a little stiff for me. Grant Bricks is yeah. a nice player, but he doesn't, like, blow me away either. Yeah. Like, they're nice players. It's not a great O-line class. Those guys are nice players. Kevin Haywood's a pretty big physical kid. He's been to, like, three or four different high schools, though, and that's always a bit of a that is weird. Bit of a head scratch. I'm like, okay, why? You know, like, I'd be <laughs> curious as to know why. So that's a bit of a... Hmm, let me investigate that a little bit. But he he's has, a big physical kid as well. I, I put an update on the board and an article, obviously, on Haywood a, a few weeks, uh, maybe a week ago. And if people haven't seen that one on the message board, go look up the Kevin Haywood um, visits visits that he's taking. I've never seen a longer list of visits in my life for one spring, man. Like, he's like, back yes, like consecutive, back, consecutive. Yeah, I'm like, man. is this kid going to school at any point? <laughs> like, it's weird, man. It's a little weird, yeah. but yeah. 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 It's 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 going to be interesting how that line class shapes up. It really is. It really is. All right, let's go down to uh, another one, Ryan. From Brandon Plensner, what five states would you like Notre Dame to focus on in 2025 based on some of the talent you've seen in the class? That's a good question, man. That's a good Illinois, question. for sure. For sure. ton of kids in Georgia. I think Pennsylvania's got some dudes in 2025. Yep, that's the next one. Pennsylvania yeah. has a ton of dudes. 
Texas because always Texas. Always Texas. I mean, always Texas. Yes. Um, trying to think of some other ones, Ryan, just kind of looking through this list. Uh, he, huh. Some decent There's Virginia, a, decent Virginia yeah. players that, that 2025 yeah. it looks like. Yeah, it's just the problem is a lot of them are from the Virginia Beach area, and yeah. Notre Dame's had problems just getting those kids, as we found out, that 757 area. They've had problems getting those kids into school. Right. Yeah, for a fifth area, Ryan, that's a good one. I, I mean, my, my impulse was in California, Missouri, but I, just, I, I, I don't yeah. think there was a lot of Missouri kids on that list. Oh, no, I, I didn't see correctly. any, to be honest yeah. with you. I think California is, I mean, California, Texas, just because they should always be priorities. Georgia, yes. because it should always be a priority. But Illinois, uh, Illinois and uh, uh, Pennsylvania for me are, are big ones. It looks like big a really good Pennsylvania class in 2025. Yeah. Like there's some guys there, man. Yeah. A lot of Philadelphia guys, too. In, you know, like, like look, like, I've said this before. You always have first impressions of things, right, Ryan? I mean, it's just the nature of it. You can't help not have a first impression. So, you know, I see the list of kids that are, are they're, they're going to get offered. I'm like, okay, that's just Al Golden just recruiting dudes from a state he's familiar with. And then you like pop in the film of Anthony Sack and you're like, oh, I was wrong at Duke and Ball. So the Pennsylvania Jersey area, I mean, because that's the thing too, Ryan, is like I don't necessarily or Brandon, I don't necessarily count like a specific state. I, it's more regions, and sometimes a region could be like Eastern PA and Jersey is more of uh, similar than Eastern PA is with Pittsburgh when it comes to recruiting football players, right? So you know, Philly as a football area is going to have a lot more in common with Jer- North Jersey than it is Western PA. Yeah, and so you know, it's, it's more kind of like that. And the Western PA has a lot more in common with Eastern Ohio than it does Philly. Yeah. And so it's just, it's a little I, bit different that way. I, I would really like Notre Dame to start getting more in that DMV area, man. We keep talking yeah. about it, but it just hasn't happened as much. Yep. I mean, Mer- I mean, Mer- the state of Maryland has places like, you know, we've talked a ton about, you know, like the, the math of Catholics of the world, a lot right? of the San Francis academies, like yeah, St. Francis has a lot of kids too. Yeah. Th- yeah. There's a lot of DBs that they offer that they have or will offer today from the Maryland area. Uh, I was, so, yeah. I, I was sad to see that someone that won't be in that equation actually is Jeremiah Wusikor Moe's little brother. Nathan. He, you know, Nathaniel's going down to IMG for his last few years. I didn't years? know that. Yeah. I didn't know that. That would make it to me would make, it's going to make it a little bit harder for Notre Dame to get him at that yeah. point in time. If that yeah. be true. That yeah. just happened like a couple weeks ago. So yeah. yeah, I did not know that. 